This morning we start a new book, Deuteronomy, and uh, as we begin this book, we have Moses giving final instructions to Israel before he dies. Before the people enter the promised land, Moses, the great leader of God, takes several chapters at the beginning of Deuteronomy here to caution and instruct Israel, his own people. And he reminds them that they're God's chosen people. And being God's chosen brings about a responsibility to God. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we'll read the first 14 verses. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen the Lord and what he did at Bel Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Bel of Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God and are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go in to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that God, that God has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in the law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourselves, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and that they may teach their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of his word, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land when, which you cross over to possess. Verse 1, we have Moses saying, listen, listen up, Israel. God has a word for you. Israel is about to go in and possess the land that is flowing with milk and honey. 
But before they go up to possess the land, they're to hear, they're to listen to what God has to say. And they're told, do not add to God's commands, nor take away from them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the book of Revelation, God commands all who read the book of Revelation, do not take away from the instructions of this book. I can understand why non-believers do not accept Scripture as true. They're unbelievers. But I cannot understand any Christian person or any denomination that ignore or pick and choose what they, in their minds, deem acceptable or reject as biblical truth. When you do that, you put yourself above God's word. As Christians, we have been redeemed. We have experienced the goodness of God as believers. And us, as believers, we have a rule book, the Bible. And for any person to reject any part of the Bible as being non-relevant... To me, that is great foolishness, especially for believers. Believe or don't believe, but who is any man to think he can pick and choose truth of Scripture? There's a group of supposedly Bible scholars called the Jesus Seminar people, and they meet once a year. And their sole purpose in meeting is to determine which words of the Bible Jesus truly spoke and which words he didn't. Okay, yeah, like I'm going to listen to you. Recently, and this is, I might step on some toes here, but hey, I've done that before. Recently, a Democratic female frontrunner for president. declared that the Christian church needs to rethink their purpose in our society. She would have the church be completely involved in social issues, help the poor, feed the hungry. And these are good causes, but I'm sorry, Mrs. Politician, I will go with what Jesus said we're to be about. He said, go and make disciples out of all men. Fellow Christians, fellow believers, we have the greatest call that could ever be placed upon any man, and that is to introduce those that do not know Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, the Savior of mankind, Savior of the world, and Moses, he is taking the last opportunity before he dies. He's been told that he will not be able to go into the promised land. And he's taken his last opportunity to instruct Israel, his people. Verse 5, Moses declares, I have taught you God's statutes as he commanded me. Statutes of behavior the way you're to behave when you go in and possess the land of promise. 
And verse 6 tells us, be careful to observe God's commands. And he says, this will be your wisdom in the sight of other people. Other nations will declare what a great nation Israel is, what a wise and understanding people they are, because they obey God. Verse 7, a people who have the living God so near that they may call upon God for any reason, any time. What a great privilege. We are allowed, as believers, to call upon God any place, anywhere, any time. That's prayer. And sometimes our prayers are not always flowerful, you know. Sometimes they're prayers out of desperation. Peter, when he's sinking after walking on the sea, he's, he has a great prayer, help God. You know, and God heard him. We have that privilege because we're his children. And as Christians and in a post-Christian nation, I hate to say that, but that's what I really believe. We also have the great privilege of prayer. I no longer think America has laws and regulations that are righteous laws and regulations. In chapter 5, a couple chapters forward, Moses will review again the Ten Commandments, which are first mentioned in Exodus, lest they forget, lest they forget the truth and depart from the truth. So Moses will repeat the Ten Commandments. Recently, well, not quite so recently, Judge Roy Moore was removed as Chief Justice of Alabama uh, because he displayed the Ten Commandments. That was the whole root of the, uh, him being dismissed. But fortunately, he was reelected. We got Roy, Roy Moore back in, in government. And as a nation, our government, our leaders, continue to pass anti-God laws and statutes. We live in a nation that was founded upon Christian morals, and now as a society, we are beginning to pass laws that are unrighteous laws. But that's not unusual. Taxes, now we all pay our taxes, and the amount we pay for social services, it seems to be ever increasing. Our tax dollars support causes and issues that a lot of Christians find offensive, contrary against our religious beliefs. But taxes, they're not a new issue. Israel, in the time of Jesus, was highly taxed by Rome, who ruled with an iron fist over them. Taxes in Israel at the time of Jesus were severe, but Rome didn't care. They were in power and they would keep things as they were. Rome would appoint tax collectors and give them authority to collect taxes. 
And the tax collector had an amount, he had a quota set upon the money he was to collect. And anything he collected above his quota was his. This invited, uh, you know, overcharging and so forth. And the tax collectors were considered traitors to the Jewish society. And they usually chose Jewish men to be tax collectors. And they were looked upon as traitors by their fellow countrymen. So let me get you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. And we'll look at verses 15 through 22. Matthew 15, or rather 22, 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, speaking of Jesus. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard person or men. Tell us, therefore... What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived that their wickedness of their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled, and they left him, and they went their way. The Pharisees are plotting a trap for Jesus, and they want to trap him in his teaching, in his words. And they either want Jesus to object to paying taxes to Rome, and that would get him in trouble with Rome, or say it's okay to pay taxes, and then the people will turn against Jesus, and they think they have Jesus trapped. Verse 16, they say, We know you teach the way of God in truth. Nothing but flattery. And we know you're true to the way of God in truth and regard no man. They're trying their best to set up Jesus. They would have never flattered Jesus with these words unless they thought they had him trapped. Their question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they believe with everything in them, that Jesus cannot answer this question without offending either Rome or the common people. That's the way they think. But they don't realize who they're debating with. The, this, the Pharisees are about to discover it's hard to argue with God and win. Verse 18 it says, Jesus perceived their thoughts of wickedness. And he has a question for them. Why do you test me? And then just for good measure, he throws in, you hypocrites. 
Don't you love it? Jesus wasn't a bit afraid of the Pharisees. <laughs> he didn't avoid their question either. He didn't say, oh, that's a tough one. Let me get back to you. Jesus didn't say that. Being God in the flesh, he knew the Pharisees' motives, and he knew that their motives were wicked. And before Jesus answers, he calls them what they are, hypocrites. I think he did that just to get their attention. <laughs> Hypocrite, that's a harsh term, but it's true of the Pharisees. It's a good description of the Pharisees. And with these words, Jesus now has the whole crowd's complete attention. The Pharisees, they began their question by flattering Jesus. And their flattery is words of hypocrisy because they're trying to trap him. Jesus then denounced them before the crowd. And the Pharisees experienced firsthand that Jesus is of truth and he speaks for God and he speaks against them. So by the word of God and by their own confession, the Pharisees are exposed as hypocrites. But listen to the wisdom of Jesus in this answer. Show me a coin whose image is on the coin, and they confess that it's Caesar's. And Jesus simply says, render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then he adds, and give to God the things that are God's. This answer is so great that the Pharisees marvel. We thought we had him trapped, but we didn't. And they're not accustomed to being rebuked publicly, but they're rebuked by being called hypocrites. They marvel and they go their own way. So Jesus has proclaimed a principle to all who read of this encounter with the Pharisees. Pay your taxes to those in authority over you. That's not a choice. That's a given. We are to pay our taxes. Now, Lori and I pay our taxes. But if you know anything about me, I desperately do not want to overpay my taxes. <laughs> and I work hard to find what few loopholes we uh, taxpayers have, but I find them. <laughs> but those who are in authority over us are not righteous leaders but neither were they righteous leaders in the day of Jesus. And Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now there's several New Testament passages that call for us Christians to obey those in authority over us. Titus 3.1, be subject to rulers and authorities, meaning we are to obey them. Hebrews 13.17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Romans 13, 1, it's the same, same. But Jesus told the disciples, give to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So, in Acts chapter 5, 
I want you to turn there, so get ready. Find Acts chapter 5. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. The apostles have been eyewitness of this ascension. And the apostles now are doing many signs and miracles among the people there in Jerusalem. The high priest, a Sadducee, along with other Sadducees who do not believe in miracles, they're filled with indignation because these apostles are doing miracles. So they arrest the apostles and throw them in prison. So let's pick up Acts chapter 5, verse 19. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that they entered the temple early in the morning and taught, but the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors before the door. Excuse me. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. We have an angel here of the Lord who overrules the high priest and other human authority there. The angel tells Peter and the other apostles, go stand in the temple and speak all the words of life to the people. The apostles are obedient to the word that is directly from God. And the very next morning, the apostles are back on the job in the temple teaching the people. But the captain of the guard, the temple guard, quietly, without violence, he goes and he brings the apostles before the Sanhedrin, the council. The apostles are confronted by the high priest. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this man's name. And now you want to bring this man's blood upon us. The name of this man the Sadducees refused to mention happens to be Jesus. Acts uh, verse 5, uh, chapter 5, 29, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Peter has just opened the door for all believers to obey God versus man. But only 
when man's order conflicts with God's orders. That's the only time. So what are God's commands? And what are his orders to us? We happen to have God's word. We have scripture. We have the Bible. Our government, unfortunately, sanctions and passes laws that are contrary to God's word. Things like abortion. But our Supreme Court has just recently overstepped their bounds. They have sanctioned same-sex marriage. So this brings a question. What do we as Christian pastors do? Do we obey the laws of the land or do we obey God? When we Christian pastors are faced with the choice to perform same-sex marriages or not, each pastor must decide who he will obey, God or man. Never in my life, and I'm, I'm not a young man, I'm 71 years old, have we here in Christian America had to decide who to obey, God or man. This is a first. America was founded on godly Christian principles. But unfortunately, those godly principles have eroded away by unbelieving politicians, and courts, and judges. We have just celebrated our nation's birthday just yesterday. I'm not sure how many more celebrations of freedom are in store for Christians. Why would I say that? Franklin Graham, whom I have the most respect for, issued a warning to Christians after the Supreme Court's ruling. And he says, you can now look for persecution to come upon you as a Christian. He says, and it will come very shortly. And we all read about different cases of persecution. I think it's very important that we be salt and light in today's society as a Christian. We need to stand for what we believe. I also think it's very important for us to realize what is on the horizon for a Christian's future. Franklin Graham sees Christians being persecuted shortly. I respect Franklin a lot, and I happen to wholeheartedly agree with him. So here we are, July 5th, and we're losing our freedoms as Christians. Choose today whom you will serve. If God be God, serve God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.
Father God, it's disheartening for us to see our own government begin to pass laws that are contrary to your word. And Lord, this goes on, and there's many already that are having to fight the battle to obey you or to obey men. We pray for those that are in those positions. Give them strength. Give them wisdom. Uh, give them the courage, Lord, to obey you. And Lord, as a people that you have blessed tremendously, you've given us a nation where freedom of worship has been really taken for granted. But, Lord, we thank you for the freedom we still have to worship you openly. Lord, I pray that each of us would have convictions about obeying you versus any man or any government. Lord, we don't want to be troublemakers, but we do want to stand firm on your word. So help us to do that, Lord. We pray for that strength to be obedient to you. So help us, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.